Hi, I'm Molly, and you're listening to the Mind Matters podcast. I have a thing with misophonia, which means I have a strong reaction to certain sounds. Not many people know what it is, and sometimes that makes it harder. My younger sister has OCD, and lots of people misunderstand what that means for her. That's why I've made this podcast, to help people learn more about some commonly misunderstood or little-known disorders, so that we can all live life with a little more empathy. OCD isn't just washing your hands a few times or wanting things to be neat and tidy or wanting things to be all in one colour. And a lot of people think that that's what OCD is. Today, I'll be speaking to Emma Chapman, a child psychologist specialising in OCD. So what does OCD stand for? So OCD, broken down as O-obsessions, which if we think about that is thoughts, then C is compulsions, and that is behaviours, and then D is disorder. And the most important part of all of that is the disorder part, because we all have the obsessions and we all have compulsions, but some of us only might have that once a year that our brain might say to us to do something to stop something bad from happening or something like that but the disorder part for people that get actually diagnosed with OCD they have to be doing it for at least one hour a day that they're doing compulsions. What causes OCD? That's a very good question we're not 100% sure yet there's lots of different causes one very likely cause is genetics So mostly the people that I see and what we see in research, they've got a close family member who also has OCD. Uh, Some people that it comes just out of the blue for can have some kind of trauma and that might bring on OCD. Uh, But we just, yeah, we're, we're still doing lots of research into the causes of it. What is actually happening in the brain for someone with OCD? Right, well again, that is actually super complex. The most simplest way and the way that we sort of describe it to people is that the threat system in the brain is hyperactive, it's gone hypervigilant. So it's it's thinking that things are a threat when they're actually not. And then that somehow uh, links to the reward system when you do the behaviour. So for example, if it is... Um, I need to touch this thing four times to stop something bad from happening. When the person touches the thing four times, then the reward system in the brain lights up and it helps their body calm down. The complex answer is it involves all parts of the brain. And what we know now, as we're looking more and more into brain scans, is that it's People know logically that if they touch something four times that that actually won't stop someone from dying or getting hurt. However, there seems to be a kind of missing link in a person's brain with OCD between knowing something and then actually being able to stop it. And we kind of describe that like if you're in a car and you're trying to put on the brakes, there's no link between the brake pedal and the brake pads, so you can't actually stop it. Um, but that is a whole lot of different parts of the brain that go into that. Yeah, that's interesting. Is OCD commonly misunderstood by people? 
Yes, yeah, and that's mainly uh, because of media and things like that. So you'll probably hear lots of people say, um, that's just OCD of me or I'm just being OCD, that type of thing. However, OCD isn't just washing your hands a few times or wanting things to be neat and tidy or wanting things to be all in one colour. Um, and a lot of people think that that's what OCD is. What more is there to it? Great question. So there's lots of different themes of OCD and some people might just have one theme and other people have lots of different themes. So there are the themes of contamination, like when people wash their hands excessively to get off contamination and things like that. But there's also really, and I'm not saying that that's not a tricky theme, but it's not a shameful theme normally. And so there's a lot more shameful themes like um, aggressive themes where people might see a knife and then think that they want to stab their mother or something like that, which is very, very tricky one to have. And so that's just an intrusive thought that comes into their brain. It's not who they are as a person or what their values are or what they actually would ever do, um, but it's an intrusive thought that comes in. Uh, and so that one or the sexual themes, they're all really tricky ones that a lot, a lot of people have that are very, very, very common. Yeah. Why do you think it is that OCD is commonly misunderstood? Uh, I think it's something that a lot of people keep to themselves and they actually think that they might be going crazy a lot of the time. Um, it's quite hard to see into someone's brain uh, and it may be that people just look like they're perfectionists or that they um, are not concentrating on things and there's lots of ways we can see people acting that we don't realise are actually OCD. Mm-hmm. Would it be helpful if people talked more open about their OCD? Absolutely, yes. And one thing that um, I do is run groups for primary school and teenagers who have OCD so they can sit and discuss it with each other, knowing that they're not alone, knowing that they're not crazy and that these other really lovely, cool people also have what's going on in their brain the same as they do. Uh, and it also helps families because families get to talk to one another about how difficult it can be to have OCD in the household and what strategies they've done and just support each other a bit. Um, how long ago was OCD first diagnosed? Well, OCD, there's like writings in psychology and things right back to the 14th century. However, OCD, the term, was pretty much sort of coined in the 20th century but we have something called the DSM which is a diagnostic criteria manual which we use to diagnose things with and in the 1980s OCD was put into the DSM which I think was volume number three at that stage and that was sort of the first time that we had OCD written. How difficult would it have been for people with, with before OCD had a name? Yeah, well, people were, I mean, there was lots of different things OCD was called prior to that. Um, and it would have been difficult. It's even now very difficult because it's often misdiagnosed. Do you think it's a relief for people when they're told what that they have OCD and what's going on in their brain? Absolutely, yeah. It's the best part of my job, actually, is having people come in and families, so their whānau, are often very distraught too. 
um, and to be able to say it's okay guys this is what this is and this is what we need to do about it. That brings me on to my next question. Do many people come to you not knowing that they don't that they have OCD? Yes, yeah, and I see a lot of adults who have had it for 20 years or even longer um, and they haven't been diagnosed with OCD. So they will have been diagnosed with other things or again they will have just sort of dealt with it in silence um, and just thought they might be going a bit crazy. Does OCD change as you grow older? Uh, there's not an, a lot of research into that, but within my clinical practice, like with, within the people I see, what, what I often see is younger children have more physical compulsions, meaning the behaviours they do are often, you can observe them. So they're tapping of things or... Um, the checking of locks, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But as people get older, I've noticed that they have more mental compulsions. So those are things that they do, behaviours they do in their brain. For example, they might um, need lots of reassurance and they're seeking that in their brain a lot. Mm -hmm. Are there certain ages OCD is most commonly diagnosed? Yes, so they think onset of OCD, and this is from research, is around 19 years of age. Again, I don't see that in my practice because I see many, many people that get it around three and four and things like that. And in fact, even the ones that get diagnosed at 40 often talk about OCD they've had for a very long time. Uh, it is supposedly more common in boys under the age of 10 and then it's more common in women um, after that. We, don't, we haven't got enough research yet on exactly how that looks. And in New Zealand, it's about 1.4% of the population have it. In Australia, about 2% have it. However, because it is so misdiagnosed and also people keep it sacred, I would imagine it's actually quite a bit more. Are there any disorders that OCD seems to be commonly linked with? Yes, there are. So definitely other anxieties. So in general, people will have anxiety in some other way as well. Uh, there is quite a link between having autism and having OCD. And there's a link in there also with ADHD. So neurodiverse brains, which OCD is part of the neurodiverse brain um, category, they all have linkages together because of course it's all in the same brain. What do you do to help the people who come to see you about OCD? Well, first of all, like you said, it's just giving them um, the understanding of what OCD is and how that works in the brain and then what the person themselves can do as well as what their system around them can do because often what's happened is the family have accommodated the OCD for quite some time, meaning they've tried to help the person out who's got it by helping them not be so distressed. And in fact, sometimes that means that they've actually been feeding the OCD and making it worse. So that's one of the big things is going is supporting the system around the person to stop giving those accommodations. And then we always do something called exposure response prevention or ERP. And that is where we get people to not do the behaviours and if they don't do the behaviours then they're able to tolerate the uncertainty 
and the OCD turns down. It gets a lot um, less intense for them. It's very tricky to do ERP for a lot of people and so that's where my job comes in to almost be an ERP coach. Uh, and the other thing is, is that unlike other anxieties, in children especially, we really champion medication. Medication's really important because like I said, it's very complex in the brain and what's going on. And there's possibly a deficit in something called serotonin and things as well. Then medication can be really useful to help people then put in the ERP steps. Do you see similarities in most of the people you work with who have OCD? I do, yes. So for example, there will be someone in their family that experiences other anxieties and um, often OCD themselves. And that might have been in a really good way. Like I actually see a lot of um, famous sports people's children and sports people often have, a lot of them have um, OCD in the sense that they have magical thinking. So, for example, if they wear their lucky underwear, then they're going to win that game. Or if they do, so they've been genetically given a little bit of that, but also perhaps modelled it by the parents. Um, mostly, the people that I see are very intelligent um, and highly creative, meaning that there's something in their brain that's able to just create these scenarios almost as well. Um, really humorous and also very, very hardworking, like generally would do anything to try and get rid of it, but it's very difficult to tolerate. Can you grow out of OCD? Yes and no, yeah. So you can learn about what it is, you can learn exactly what you need to do about it. It's very tricky to grow out of intrusive thoughts because again, that's just human. We all have those thoughts. Um, it's about them not doing the behaviour and if people are able to not do the compulsion then they have a good shot at, at growing out of it or at least having it very, very minimal in their world. Are there positives to having OCD? There certainly are positives to having OCD. Um, for example, like those sports people, amazing. It helps them go out on the field and um, do really well. Uh, again, if we come back to those kind of strengths of the similarities that I see of people, like their intelligence and their creativity and things like that, it certainly shows that their brains are capable of a lot of things. Yeah. Is there anything you would really like people to know or understand about OCD? Um, I think most people that <clears throat> I work with would like people to stop using the term OCD if they didn't actually have OCD, that that's really um, uh, minimising of their distress and how awful it can actually be for them and their family and so they feel that that's kind of like a slap in the face to them. I think it would be really good if we could get more funding through the government because at this, this stage most people that see me have to pay me to see them. Um, however, we, we and it's quite hard to get into the public system. So if we could get more funding for OCD because of the length of time that you need to be in, um, you need to be seeing someone, then that would be really useful. Yeah. Do you have any advice for those listening with OCD? I do. I think the absolute best thing is to tell people is because OCD can't really thrive 
or continue on if it is out in the open. So there's lots of different people that you can talk to around that, like a school counsellor, your parents, again, because it's so highly genetic, one of your parents might actually be experiencing a very similar thing. And then you can get on to um, seeing someone like myself, like a psychologist, um, or possibly you could also do some really good reading on Google to begin just to get your head around it. Thank you so much, Emma. That was child psychologist Emma Chapman speaking to us about OCD. I'm sure people would have found the information you shared very interesting and helpful. In my next episode, I'll be speaking with a teenager who has OCD and has been putting in a lot of effort to reduce its impact.